My favorite thing to do when I'm commuting or waiting on a long line is hop onto June's journey and escape into a game filled with compelling stories, strong female characters, and a true crime mystery I want to help solve. The game lets you step into the role of June Parker as she tries to figure out who killed her sister. By playing the Hidden Object Mystery mobile game, you put your detective skills to the test. You find clues, play mind-teasing puzzles, and dive into the roaring 1920s. I'm on chapter four and still trying to figure out how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why, but I can't do it alone. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Wedded bliss turns into a dark mystery in Lucy Foley's The Guest List. The thrilling mystery is set on the coast of Ireland and it's my latest pick to listen to on Audible. The twists and turns do not disappoint. Listening to it felt addicting because I needed to know what happened next. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking audio titles, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers that are guaranteed to keep you on the edge of your seat. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. After years of trying, a loving couple finally had the family they dreamed of. They had a lot of love to give to those two boys. It has seemed like they had actually given birth to these boys. They were the pride of small town Kansas until a shocking crime stopped this community dead in its tracks. There's blood everywhere. Oh my God, oh my God. When the investigation gets underway, clues found at the crime scene and a slew of possible motives will send police hurtling in all directions. Did somebody have a bad business deal? There were a lot of questions, there was a lot of fear. Were the Blummels the tragic victims of circumstance? Or had something or someone devoured this all-American family from the inside? They were enabling each other. He knew that he had aspirations to be a hitman. And the text message is, I need a gun to do a job. She's very good at getting people to do what she wants. I don't think there's any remorse. November 15th, 2013, 9.15 p.m. Dispatchers in Wichita, Kansas, receive an unusual call from the quiet suburb of Valley Center. The caller is 16-year-old Chris Blummel. Yeah, I just got home, and my parents are both in the car. I think they're, like, both passed out. He said that when he pulled into the drive, he parked back behind where his mom and dad's truck were. He saw that the driver's side door was open. Dispatchers press Chris for more information about this possible medical emergency. My dad keeps him like coughing, and my mom, her head would like bobble up and down. I thought it was a joke at first, and then like they seriously have not moved for like 30 minutes. It was just kind of a bizarre thing. It's just very unusual how the scene was being described 
I was like yelling at him and like trying to wake him up. Is he reacting at all? No, nothing at all. Okay, I want you to go ahead. Are they breathing? Uh, yeah, my dad has been like coughing. Okay, we do have the paramedics in the place on the way, so let's carefully, I want you to go ahead and lay them flat on their back on the ground. They're walking him through, trying to get him to do CPR. Oh my God. Uh -huh. I just opened up the door and there was blood everywhere. Oh my God. Oh my God. Chris's parents, 53-year-old Melissa and 48-year-old Roger Blummel, were the quintessential Kansas couple. Melissa started as a bank teller at Chisholm Trail State Bank and quickly rose through the ranks. Melissa was always there. She would do anything you ask her, and she was good at what she did. She was a great employee. Melissa put in long hours at work, but her true passion was a gregarious bobcat salesman, five years her junior, named Roger Blummel. He's the kind of guy that could basically sell anything. Uh, didn't matter what it was. Very friendly, very uh, easy to talk to. Special occasions, her birthday. You would always see Roger come in the bank with a bouquet of flowers. They were the proverbial couple. In the early 1990s, the couple married. Roger left his job selling bobcats and brought Melissa along with him. Roger eventually decided to uh, open up his own business. Uh, so he ventured out and uh, started doing sales on his own. It was uh, Blumble Contracting Supply. Roger and Melissa um, both worked really, really hard. Both came from families with great work ethics. Melissa was promoted to vice president's position. The couple had dreams outside of their careers, too. All of their other friends that had gotten married were able to have kids, and that was always something that they had desired. Melissa wanted a family very, very badly. The couple built a home on some rural property outside of town with plenty of room for children to play. But the baby the Blummels dreamed of never came. They had been trying for a while probably about eight years. It became evident that, that it wasn't going to happen for them. They decided to look into um, other ways of having a family and started looking through adoption. Not long after Melissa and Roger contacted a local adoption agency in 2001, a social worker called the Blummels with good news. They had found a potential match. The mother's name was Keisha Schauberg. Born in 1978, Keisha Reyes grew up in sprawling Los Angeles, California. While she enjoyed a typical suburban upbringing, Keisha was anything but conventional. My grandpa was strict. He always had rules, and Keisha was one that wouldn't care about the rules. She began to act out in school, um, not getting the grades that she was getting before. Everything just was declining. Keisha drank beer, she smoked marijuana. She would go party and go to high school parties. At 17, a discovery momentarily put the brakes on Keisha's wild ways. She learned she and her boyfriend were having a baby. 
Her boyfriend left her soon afterward, and by the time her son Tony was born in 1995, Keisha was a single mom. She was more scared than happy. I remember Keisha saying she didn't want kids yet. During this time in Keisha's life, I believe she was going through a lot of stress and struggles with herself. A few months after she gave birth, she decided to move, and she got up and just left. She told me she, uh, she hitched a ride from a trucker and ended up in Missouri. It's in Missouri that Keisha met and fell in love with Chris Shawberg. The couple married soon after, and in 1997, Keisha gave birth to another son, Chris Shawberg Jr. Over the next few years, Chris, Keisha, and the boys bounced across the Midwest. She was a drug user. They were enabling each other. They were staying in a hotel and uh, not working. At one point in time, they were homeless. They were basically living out of a vehicle. Then, one night in 2001, while her four- and six-year-old sons slept in the back seat, Keisha came to a heartbreaking realization. She stated to me that she was not fit to take care of her children. She made the decision to give the boys up. She had seen an advertisement for an adoption agency, and she called this 800 number. The agency told Keisha that they already had a couple waiting, Roger and Melissa Blummel of Kansas. The agency reached out to Roger and Melissa and told them that they had not just one, but two boys who needed a home. I truly believe they would have brought six kids home if that would have been the situation. Melissa and Roger had a lot of love to give. Keisha was sad that she wasn't with Tony and Chris. Keisha was, but she was also happy that the Blumos took them. Keisha had nothing but good things to say about the Blumos. She was very grateful. Back at their new home in Kansas, Tony and Chris Blummel quickly settled into a new life. Melissa took six weeks of maternity leave to stay home with the boys. In her eyes, those were her children from the very beginning. I would say within, you know, a few years of them all living together, it has seemed like they had, you know, actually given birth to these two boys. By the time the boys hit high school, the family was a pillar of the Valley Center community. The boys were polite, uh, well-behaved. They just seemed like very uh, respectable young boys. Both Tony and Chris were very active in sports and other activities. By February 2013, Tony was a state champion wrestler, while his younger brother Chris had started making a name for himself on the football field. Melissa was one of those moms that always volunteered to make the dinners for the football players that would do anything to be involved with the boys. In the spring of 2013, the busy Blummel family was facing a new chapter as Tony prepared to graduate. He didn't have any problems in school. He was, you know, a star athlete. He had talked about making plans to go into the Air Force. But on November 15, 2013, it appears Roger and Melissa may not live to see Tony or Chris's accomplishments. 
Just six months after Tony's graduation, Chris reports finding his parents unresponsive in their truck. Did you see the sheriff pulling up? Yeah, they're, they're right behind me. Police still found a pulse and, and you know signs of life. Our victims were code red in, in our world. That means it's a serious injury. Police also find the source of all that blood. They had both been shot in the head. Valley Center is a small town, so when you hear of a double shooting, you immediately start wondering, what happened? Who would do something like that? Coming up, investigators discover friction within the family. Melissa has become, I believe, afraid of Tony. And no one is free from suspicion. They're in their driveway, you know, possibly dying or dead. He was not very emotional at all. By 2013, Melissa and Roger Blummel had carved out a nice life for themselves and their two adopted sons, Chris and Tony, in Valley Center, Kansas. But on November 15th, Melissa and Roger were found shot outside their home. Chris called 911 and reported that he had found his parents um, injured. He made a comment on the call about there being blood. Still clinging to life, both Melissa and Roger are rushed to an area hospital, while sheriff's deputies turn to Chris, their only witness. Chris wasn't acting um, how uh, people would perceive uh, somebody that had uh, discovered their parents shot. The only person that he could think of who could possibly come anywhere close to doing this would be their oldest son, Tony. Police discover the problems began in the spring of 2013, Tony's senior year in high school. Tony was a successful athlete, a you know, successful kid. It wasn't until he began to pretty routinely smoke marijuana. I mean, this is something completely inconsistent with the lifestyle of a state champion wrestler. And the Blummels were having none of it. As Tony got older, he resented, I think, the structure that the family had. He didn't understand why there were curfews or why he couldn't do this and would frequently act out. There had been a history of problems with Tony and Roger and Melissa in that he had shown a tendency to have some issues controlling his temper. They talked about he had punched a hole in their wall. Melissa had become, I believe, afraid of Tony. He was a strong kid. He was an aggressive kid. Things only got worse after Tony's graduation when he was arrested for a DUI. I think the Blummels really wanted Tony to have a career in the Air Force, but that went to shambles when he continued his drug usage. Roger and Melissa are personal friends of mine. They had given Tony several chances to make some changes. It seems that the, they were unsuccessful in that. And eventually, they, Roger made a decision that this was not good for the family to have drugs in the house. So they asked Tony to leave the house. Chris tells responding officers that in September 2013, Tony had taken off to California. But in early November, 
Tony suddenly returned to town and made plans to reconnect with their parents. Tony had uh, been out to dinner with uh, Roger and Melissa uh, that evening. Now, just hours after meeting with their wayward son, the Blummels are in critical condition. Initially, we were very suspicious of Tony. You know, really, why is he in town? You always start wondering, could it be people closest to them that could be the suspects? Officers take Chris from the crime scene to the station for a more formal interview. Supervision wanted as much information from him as quickly as possible. The decision was made to read Chris his rights. He was asked to explain his activities from that evening, and he declined to, to speak to investigators. Chris's sudden reticence raises a red flag with investigators. Once Chris invoked, we had to look even more strongly at whether or not he was an actual suspect. Chris was described as unusual by both the deputy and the supervisor. They had said that uh, he showed no signs of emotion. The law enforcement officers involved at the time thought, here's this 16-year-old kid that has come back and has found his parents, and they've both been shot, and they're in their driveway, you know, possibly dying or dead. He was not very emotional at all. Then there was Chris's unusual behavior on the 911 call. We learned that Chris took about 30 minutes to call 911 before he reported his parents being outside. I'm sure that police immediately thought, oh, that's a red flag right there. Why did this person not call any sooner? He obviously needs to be ruled out as a suspect before we can widen the net. While police work to track down Chris's whereabouts that evening, detectives and forensic investigators study the crime scene for clues. The first substantial piece of evidence that we find on that day is a shell casing inside the vehicle. We identify that the gun that we're looking for is a 25 caliber uh, handgun. One of the things that struck me, at least as I was first being told about the case, was the fact that they hadn't gone out of the truck yet. It appears as though Melissa opened the door to somebody. It appeared as though it would be somebody that the Blummels would have known. But another detail about the scene soon raises questions about the validity of that theory. We see that the interior door that leads from the garage into the house has been forced open. We go into the house and we start to see things that have been knocked over. And eventually we get into the master bedroom. And in the master bedroom, you can see that uh, drawers have been open, things have been knocked off of the shelving. Somebody had gone through some stuff. Items had obviously been moved around and placed on the bed. So that area, we knew for sure that people had been in. So we focused our investigation there as far as trying to locate maybe fingerprints or DNA, anything that could maybe give us an idea who had been in there and, and gone through those dresser drawers. At the time, we believed that somebody maybe had come in the house and actually robbed them. And Roger and Melissa pulled up in the driveway and may have interrupted a burglary in progress. The idea that the Blummels might have been shot by a stranger opens up even more theories. We know that Roger is a businessman, so we assigned somebody to look into there. Did somebody um, have a bad business deal? Was anybody upset with Roger over the sale of something? She worked at a bank and had authority at the bank. Was someone going there to, you know, hold her hostage and make her go in the next morning and rob the bank? To try and narrow their search, 
Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office investigators head to Wesley Medical Center, where life-saving medical procedures are still underway. Roger and Melissa were in poor condition. One of the things that I was asked to do when I was at the hospital was to try and see if we could figure out their injuries specifically. Both of the gunshot wounds were on the right side of each of their heads. It appeared in that first 12 hours that there was a single shooter. Whoever had attacked the Blummels had likely acted alone. Could that trigger man be one of their adopted sons? Or had someone else set their sights on this prominent local family? Nobody knew who the shooter was, what the circumstances were. Coming up, a break in the case leads police in a surprising new direction. The text message is, I need a gun to do a job. Could pursuing this tip be what investigators are looking for to solve this case? They watched him throw an unknown object into the pond. Hey, Snap listeners, did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security I use and recommend. When the weather is nicer and daylight is lasting longer, I find myself going out for walks and out of the house more. That's why I like Simply Safe to protect my home 24-7. Simply Safe offers advanced technology to protect every room, window, or door of your home while cameras keep watch for suspicious activity 24-7. Plus, you install the system your way. It's easy to do it yourself or get the professionals to do it for you. You can test it out, absolutely no risk to you, with Simply Safe's 60-day risk-free trial. I like Simply Safe because it's customizable for everyone's personal needs. I love to use the video doorbell for my packages and feel more safe when I'm home alone. I even installed a smart lock at my parents' house. It gives our family both ease of access and peace of mind. Protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 24 hours after being rushed to a Kansas hospital with gunshot wounds to their heads, Melissa and Roger Blummel remain in critical condition. For Sedgwick County, Kansas investigators, finding Melissa and Roger's shooter is a top priority. As to a possible motive, a couple of scenarios are on the table. You go through all the different scenarios. You, you start thinking, yes, it could be some sort of botched robbery that happened as they were pulling in. But then you also start looking at the people who are closest to them because anyone could be a suspect. Had Tony or Chris Blummel fired the shots that struck down their adoptive parents? It's important as a law enforcement officer to try and keep an open mind. While police continue working multiple fronts, investigators focus on finding 18-year-old Tony Blummel. It turns out he was looking for them. 
Tony Blummel uh, was trying to get a hold of law enforcement because he had been told that something happened to his parents. We talked to Tony and asked him to come down to our office building downtown. Unlike his younger brother, Chris, who has invoked his Miranda rights, Tony is eager to speak to Sedgwick County Sheriff's investigators. He was asking a lot of questions. He wanted to know if we had any suspects. Tony is interviewed and acknowledges that he has had a rocky relationship with Roger Melissa in the past. Tony says that he moved in with a friend, and while he was there, a ghost from his past sent him a message. Keisha, who is Tony's biological mom, just succeeded in making contact with Tony on Facebook. Keisha was living at the time with a female named Sean Hamilton, and they were in a romantic relationship with each other. Tony says that over a decade after she had given him up for adoption, Keisha had turned her life around and now had a seven-year-old daughter, Tony's half-sister. Keisha's off drugs, raising her daughter, and doing quite the job. I believe she thought that this was her second chance to be able to be the mother that she couldn't be for the boys. Keisha seemed changed. She seemed happy. She just seemed kind of, I want to say, carefree almost. Upon my sister Victoria uh, visiting them, she had nothing but glowing reviews as to where Keisha and my half-sister were now. She said that there was a big improvement. Tony tells detectives that in September of 2013, he decided to make the trip out to San Diego, California to reconnect with his birth mother. Keisha was crying when Tony walked in the door. She was just like, oh my God, ecstatic. Tony had told me that he was happy to find his biological mother to finally come in contact with her. Tony says after about six weeks in California, he began to miss his adopted family. So in late October of 2013, he, Keisha, and her daughter drove to Valley Center. He reunited with his adoptive parents on November 15th. They had uh, picked him up at the, at the hotel, and they had gone to a Chinese uh, buffet for dinner. Tony said that as part of trying to mend their relationship and make things better, that was one of the reasons that he went to eat supper with Roger and Melissa that night. Tony says that his parents dropped him and his half-sister back at the hotel around 8 p.m. That was the last time he saw them alive. Police are able to verify Tony's timeline with hotel staff. He has an alibi. There's no way to drive from that hotel that he's at to where the Blummels are at. So it's illogical for him to have been the person at the scene. It's obvious that Tony can't be the gunman. But what about the Blummel's other teenage son, 16-year-old Chris? We started to try and verify his alibi. He had gone to a wrestling supper. It was the end of the wrestling season, and they always have a big kind of get-together. He left the supper 8.45. We take a look at the evidence off of Chris's phone when he made phone calls, and that all seemed to be consistent with what we were told. With both boys ruled out as the shooter, detectives turned to the community for potential clues. Law enforcement checked all the neighbors, all the areas to see if there's any surveillance. They do find a grainy video 
We're able to really identify when Chris arrived and when we believe Roger and Melissa arrived. The video quality wasn't the best, uh, but we're able to see headlights. That captured footage seems to verify Chris's story, but it also reveals something else. We knew that the other car had come in earlier than them. They were headed toward the Blummels. Though the grainy footage makes it impossible for police to identify the make and model of that vehicle, it's clear someone had arrived at the Blummel's home a couple of hours before either Roger, Melissa, or Chris. That was our best lead. This car appears to be involved. Then, on the evening of November 16th, 2013, deputies receive grim news. I get a phone call from the hospital, and they tell me that Melissa has died. Now I'm dealing with truly a homicide, and, uh, uh, you know, one of, one of my friends has died. Melissa passed, but Roger was still alive. On November 17, 2013, two days after the shooting, detectives at the Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office receive a much-needed break in the case. Sheriff Investigations gets a phone call from the Park City Police Department, and they notify us that they have a kid by the name of Dalton who believed he may have some pertinent information on the Blummel homicide. I said, is he willing to come in and talk to us? And he agrees to come in and, and interview. Dalton starts to lay down his background of his um, ability to get firearms. According to Dalton, on November 13th, 2013, an acquaintance of his, 18-year-old Braden Smith, contacted him via text message. The text message is, I need a gun to do a job. Dalton said that he had turned him down because he was trying to get out of that line of work, at that out of that life. Braden was very persistent about it. Contacted him numerous times saying, I know you can get a gun for me. And every time Dalton would say, no, I'm not. Dalton says that when he heard the Blummels had been shot just two days later, he knew that Braden must somehow be involved. The case basically turns on that text message and Dalton coming forward. We do backgrounds and try and figure out who Braden Smith is. And we find out that he is part of a, a group of kids up in the valley that have been selling dope. Sedgwick County has a problem with burglaries. Could this possibly be a person who was looking to break into the residence to steal items or find money to support their habit? And Roger and Melissa interrupted that when they came home. At this point, we had made a decision to put up a surveillance on Brayden. With Braden now under surveillance, detectives make their next move. Braden is contacted by phone and asked if he would be willing to come in and tell us his side of the story. But prior to coming up to the office for the interview, the surveillance followed him to Chisholm Creek Park. And they watched him throw an unknown object into the pond. Coming up. The list of possible motives is narrowed down from several to one. He would get a significant amount of money. He was going to use it to get his drug business off the ground. And a tangled web of conspiracy grows. He knew that he had had aspirations to be a hitman. On 
On November 19, 2013, 18-year-old Braden Smith has been brought in for questioning after a Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office surveillance team spied the teen disposing of something in a local pond. Investigators believe that item might be the weapon that had been used to shoot Melissa and Roger Blummel. Roger Blummel had a gunshot wound to his head, um, but he's still alive, although his wife passed. We're looking for what we believe to be uh, the murder weapon is a 25 caliber uh, pistol. When Sedgwick County investigators start to press the teen about the shooting, Braden doesn't put up a fight. He came up for our interview and ultimately ended up confessing what had happened. As it turns out, Braden has a connection to the Blummel family, courtesy of their 18-year-old adopted son. We figure out that he is actually a friend of Tony's. The group in Valley Center that Braden and Tony had run with, uh, they were consuming uh, high-grade marijuana. Braden knew that Tony and Keisha had reconnected through social media. He talked about them going out to California to meet up with Keisha. This plan seemed to be that they were going to go out to California and begin to grow marijuana legally, and they could stay with Keisha for free. Tony and Brayden stayed with Keisha, myself, and her daughter in San Diego. However, Brayden says that their dreams of a California weed empire wilted within weeks. They got out there and very quickly realized nobody needed them in a dispensary. I lived in a one-bedroom apartment, and there was four adults and a child there. I'm working nobody else's. Braden and Tony are constantly smoking. Not even three weeks. Keisha is into it. All they do all day is sleep, play video games, and get high. Six weeks. At that point, that was the last straw. I told Keisha that her and the boys, you need to leave. You need to get out. According to Braden, that's when the group decided that they had no other choice but to travel back to Kansas. Braden had shared with us that when they had left California to come back to Kansas, when they were traveling, they had a discussion about getting rid of Roger and Melissa. Tony knew that if his parents were gone, he is their legal child and that he would stand to inherit money. He believed that he would get a significant amount of money. He was going to use it to, you know, get his drug business off the ground. Braden says that he, Keisha, and Tony hatched a plan. Keisha was going to murder the Blummels, and that Braden was going to be there with her to assist. So the plan is hatched for Tony to take them to dinner, and in so doing, then he would allow Keisha and Braden Smith to go back to the home and be there waiting for the Blummels to return. However, as the day for the murder grew closer, Braden says he began to have second thoughts. In Braden's own words, he chickened out. He was told to find somebody to replace him. And so that's when he contacted his friend, Drew Ellington. Braden knew that Drew had aspirations to be a hitman. Braden asked him if he'd be interested in making $1,000. And Drew told him yes. On the 15th, Braden had met up with Drew and given him two firearms. Braden tells police that after that, he has no idea what happened. 
As to what he had tossed in the park pond earlier that day, Braden admits they were firearms, but he claims neither weapon had been the gun used in the shooting. We do find two pistols through searching the, the pond. One of them is a 25 caliber, but we don't know at this point if it's the weapon that was used or not. While detectives await answers from the state lab, police focus their efforts on finding 18-year-old alleged conspirator Andrew Ellington. Once Braden gave us all of his information, we had enough probable cause to arrest Andrew Ellington. We arrested him. He didn't seem surprised. He's then brought up, and he confesses uh, to us about his involvement. According to 18-year-old Drew, after being briefed on the plan on November 15th, he and Keisha had driven to the Blummel's house while Tony took his parents out for dinner. Their whole plan was to make this homicide look like Roger and Melissa had interrupted a burglary. They went to the home. We knew from the evidence that they sort of, let's say, ransacked or gone through certain areas of the home. A little after 8.15 that evening, Drew and Keisha received a phone call from Tony. Tony let Andrew know that he was back at the hotel and Roger and Melissa were headed home. When Roger and Melissa pulled up to the residence, Keisha and Drew basically ambushed him in their truck. Drew was at the driver's side of the vehicle. Keisha was at the passenger side of the vehicle. And when she opened, the passenger side door, she shot Melissa almost immediately. Drew indicated to us that there was a delay of a few seconds, and then Keisha leaned in and shot Roger also. Drew says that as soon as the pair arrived back to the hotel, Keisha delivered the news to Tony. Keisha tells Tony it's done, and all Tony does is says, okay. And then that's all the conversation there is about it. Drew says that Keisha got a long sleeve shirt that she wrapped the firearm that she had in and gave that to him along with Melissa's person, told him that he needed to get rid of them. So Andrew drove out to a residential area and saw an area that had a small little creek to it, and he threw the purse out into the water. A forensic test soon confirms that weapon, and not the two tossed in the pond by Braden Smith, had fired the two bullets that struck down Melissa and Roger Blummel. On November 19, 2013, police charged Drew Ellington with capital murder and aggravated robbery. Now, there are just two more loose ends to tie up. On the 19th, the detectives knock on the door at the hotel. And they locate uh, Tony and Keisha there. While officers escort Keisha to a patrol car, detectives begin digging for answers. Tony's the first person that they talk to. Eventually, they get Tony to confess. He talks about gaining the inheritance. However, Tony says that he's not the only one with a motive to kill. Keisha was the person who spearheaded the, the decisions in this murder. Coming up. 
Tony reveals his mother's darkest secrets. She's very good at feeding on people's emotions. And a new revelation makes the shootings all the more tragic. Tony later comments that this whole thing was all for nothing. On November 19th, 2013, 18-year-old Tony Blummel tells Sedgwick County Sheriff's investigators that his biological mother, Keisha Shawberg, is the real mastermind behind the conspiracy to murder his adopted parents, Roger and Melissa Blummel. Though both were shot in the head, Roger is still fighting for his life in a local hospital. Part of Keisha's problem was is that she wanted an open adoption. She wanted to be able to continue to have contact with the boys and talk to them. But Roger and Melissa didn't really allow that contact to happen. Their ideology for Roger and Melissa was these two boys had been through a horrible situation. We're adopting them. The former life is over. The new life has begun. I feel like Keisha resented Anthony's adoptive parents. She definitely talked about how much she missed her boys, so I, I feel like that probably just festered. Keisha had told Tony that she had even gone so far as to drive up into the area where the Blomos lived because she was going to kill them so she could get her boys back. It was something that was in her head for a while. I think she wanted the boys. Tony says that once he and his biological mom reconnected on Facebook, Keisha dreamed of reuniting with her younger son, too. But Chris never responded to her messages. Chris wanted nothing to do with her. He didn't want any kind of contact whatsoever. And she thought that that was because of the bubbles. There seemed to be some sort of misguided notion on her part that if she could just get the Blummels out of the way, then Chris was going to come back into her life and the three of them could live happily ever after. Keisha was the mastermind of planning this murder. She's very good at getting people to do what she wants. And she's very good at feeding on people's emotions. But Tony tells police that after the plan was carried out, he realized that he and Keisha had made a terrible mistake. They found out that he was no longer in the will and that he wasn't eligible to get any of the money. Tony later comments in our interviews with him that this whole thing was all for nothing. We talked to Keisha next and explained to Keisha that they've had all these people confess and Keisha denies, 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 and denies. We decided to see if having Tony just come to the interview room door would maybe get some connection with her. And Tony stood in the interview room door and had tears in his eyes and said, Mom, I'm, I told him everything. Keisha Stone Cold looked at him and said, I don't know what you're talking about. That same day, Keisha and Tony join Braden Smith and Andrew Ellington in the county jail on charges of capital murder and aggravated robbery. Investigators break the news of the arrests to Roger and Melissa's families. I explained to them that Tony was involved. There was a lot of crying, a lot of emotion in that room that morning. 
Some of the reactions I remember seeing were disgust, just knowing that an adopted son would do something to their adopted parents who had cared for them for so long. Just as one stunning revelation washes over the community, another lands like a punch to the gut. On the 21st of December, Roger dies from his injuries. Roger would have never wanted to have been without Melissa. That's how close they were. Now that the case has become a double homicide, prosecutors amend the charges. They killed two people, and this qualified for the death penalty. With the possibility of the death penalty on the table, Keisha and Tony both plead no contest to capital murder and aggravated robbery in exchange for life in prison on May 15, 2015. Tony wrote an apology letter, and after reading it, I just don't grasp the sincerity from Tony. I don't think there's any remorse in Tony. Keisha never took responsibility for her actions. The judge did not grant Tony or Keisha any possibility for parole. The pros for the family was it's finality. It's done. There's no appeal. There's no risk of the case coming back. However, life in prison isn't the end of Keisha's story. When the snapped production team reached out to her, Keisha, for the first time, made a stunning confession. They learned that Keisha had shared with the production folks that Yes, I killed Roger and Melissa. Really doesn't change anything for me. I knew that back when we solved this case. But even though Keisha took Melissa and Roger's lives, friends, family, and law enforcement believe that the Blummel's legacy still lives on in their younger son. Through all this adversity, Chris went on to have one of the best seasons of his life. He was a star athlete, and obviously now he has moved on with his life and has a career of his own. Chris is doing amazingly well. He's an amazing person. And for what he went through, I think that he should be really proud of himself. Chris living out his life positively is a good testament to the Blummel's legacy. Keisha Schauberg and her son, Tony Blummel, are both serving life in prison without parole. After her mother's arrest, Keisha's seven-year-old daughter was placed in foster care. Braden Smith pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 24 and a half years in prison. He will be eligible for parole in 2035 at the age of 38. Andrew Ellington was found guilty of first and second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. For more information on Snapped, go to Oxygen.com. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, 
take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.